0: Crush the resistance before it's begun. Silence the voices who dared to confront. Laying your hands upon all that you rule, becoming the man who you overthrew. You better watch out, because Johnny's got a gun.
1: Welcome to the Posting and Tosting Show. I'm Drew. Schwinn's here. What up, Schwinn?
2: What up? What up? What up? What up?
1: And uh, we're not even going to do like an introduction almost at this point because, like, if you're not listening or you don't know who this is by now, like, I-, I don't know what to tell you. Jeremy Cohen, the Better Half of Nick's Film School. How's it going? You're here. It's going great. Yeah, I'm here. How are you guys doing? Oh, doing well. Doing all right. Just you know, surviving as best we can. How does it? Uh,
3: how does it feel to be the Better Half of the Nick's Film School Podcast? You know, I, I try not to let it get to my head. Um, <laughs> I know it offends John deeply, so I uh, I just take it in stride. And um, John's John's a great guy. We work it out. But uh, yeah, it feels all right. Okay, I'm glad I'm
1: glad that um, he's okay with it. Like I worry about him. You know, like I don't know. You know, what's what you do you think you like?
2: could? What do you think you could trade John for, like around the deadline or something?
3: That's a Ooh. good question. Um. I feel like some sort of uh, podcast host in just who's like similar level and maybe a second round pick swap. <laughs> <laughs> second round like, pick. I feel like I get good talent replacing John, but I get the, I get to get some sort of sweetener for, you know, like it's gotta be somewhat even. Well,
2: maybe, maybe you could get, um, maybe you could get JB back. Oh, that'd be yeah. a
0: great idea. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Although JB, he's, uh, I mean, with Daily Nick's doing his own thing, he's got Vivek now. He's, he's got ste- his own team now. He's got. His I know own team he's now. stealing from within. I mean, <laughs> it's huh? it's a pure, it's pure mutiny. It's a I think it's a great idea. Just disappear off face of the earth for like ten months, come back and just take what was yours and bleed what's rest dry. It's beautiful. No, it's like
2: it's like, uh, like Hinky if Hinky ever came back and wasn't blackballed from the NBA.
3: If yeah, if basically <laughs> Hinky and Gupta got together and. Recreated exactly what they did, um, but everyone just had amnesia or was too fucking stupid to realize that they could make a change,
2: yeah. Pretty much, I uh, I actually just finished that book like I don't know, Friday maybe I was drinking and I finished it, um, because that is what we do now, uh, in quarantine, we uh we get drunk on our own and we read books, um, <clears throat> but I finished it and like. <clears throat> At the end of that book just made me not have any interest in training for Joel Embiid. I was just like, nope, not interested in this fucking fat piece of shit that doesn't want to be great. Nope, not interested. Like, I can't, I cannot fathom rooting, like, he's such an infuriating player because like, I, he, he's like more talented probably than Patrick Ewing was because Patrick Ewing had like 9,000 knee surgeries um and had to wear like six billion knee pads (laughs) but like like Patrick Ewing literally died on the court like literally just gave everything he had on the court for the team so it's like you know I mean I know there's like idiot loser Knicks fans that are like oh like fuck you you know he choked like all right one suck a dick two also suck a dick um three I don't know go fuck yourself um but like I, I just don't understand. Like, I could not I get over it with M B like during that fucking end of the book because during the end of the book, they go into like, you know, like all this his food shit. And it's like the guy is like, he gains 60 pounds during the season. Like, stop ordering four fucking milkshakes from Chick-fil-A, pal. Like, this isn't hard stuff. And like, you've got fucking people out here talking about he's the best big in the league and we should fucking say like we should trade the whole franchise for him like no like we shouldn't what we should do is trade the franchise for a good player that is worth that like Joel Embiid is not worth that shit like I don't I'm sorry I can't I can't do that like this man had like tummy aches last year during the playoffs that was missing games like no fuck that I don't I don't even believe I'm people I got that shit from eating all the bullshit he was eating like now I'm not interested in Joel Embiid until he shows, like, over a full season, he can actually be a legitimate, like, intuit player. And like in the book, they also go into this whole fucking thing about how, like, you remember how they used to like, like, there's this whole weird stuff going on with his minutes because, like, they are telling him, like, look, we we're trying to like keep you on a minutes limit. He's like, no, nah, fuck that, I want to play, like, you know, I just play me, like, I have no injury history. And then, like, if he doesn't get played like that, he has, like, these fucking bitch fits in the media and shit. God knows what he's doing behind the scenes. But it's, like, you know, I mean, like, I don't know. That book just really drove home to me, like, how important it is that when you acquire a star, it can't, like, it has to be the right star. It has to be, like, the right personality. And if they're not the right personality, that works if they're, like, fucking LeBron. Like, Joel Embiid is not fucking LeBron, okay? Like, he is, what is he? Like, the third-best big man in the NBA right now? Like, that's great. I'm not trying to, like, downplay that. But he's the third-best big man in the NBA. He's not, like, you know, a once-in-a-generation player. I mean, he could be if he'd stop fucking eating Chick-fil-A. Um, like, he was getting ready for a Jerry Springer special. But, like, you know, he's more interested in getting that milkshake off. And, I don't I, have no, I don't know. Fuck Joel Embiid. That's it. That's, that's the show, guys. Good talk. Okay, so what book were you reading? Uh, tanking to the top, it's uh, it's uh, your I don't know Yaron Yaron Yaron
3: Weitzman, fellow yeah. member
2: of the tribe. Yep. Yeah. yeah, Jeremy's um, I'm sure cousin. We're very
3: we're very close. Uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> I remember Jeremy he, actually he taught me
3: my uh, half Torah portion before my Bar Mitzvah. It's great. <laughs> um, so we get along great, and uh, yeah. Yeah,
2: Jer- Jeremy actually ghostwrote the book. I, I didn't want to lie. I
3: did. Yeah, yeah you know. I I figured like I needed some nom de plume. I was like, all right, I got to be, I have to have have the Jewish charm in there, but it can't be my own name. So I just kind of, you know, like put two words together and uh, that was (laughs) Yaron. It was like Yaron. And then Whitesman just pulled out of the hat.
2: (laughs) But yeah, it's a good book. I mean, it's definitely worth checking out. But like, I mean, the Hinky stuff is pretty, I mean, actually, the the Hinky stuff actually kind of leads into like, you know, I mean, not necessarily directly, but like, it does tie into what you wrote about about like the idea of like how to build to like make your team attractive to stars. And I know for like, you know, process Twitter who like, you know, just gets off on like tanking odds. um, (laughs) Like the concept of making yourself attractive for like free agency is some fucking blasphemous idea. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, I mean, the book does a really good job of, like, making sure it's understood that, like, what he did, like, you know, he, he was really ahead of the game in a lot of ways in terms of just, like, under, like, realizing that there were so many stupid teams in the NBA that didn't value picks and just, like, robbing them for them. So he's definitely ahead of the game, but that, like, he also fucked up plenty of shit. Like, agents hated this guy. Um Like... He, he really did not understand the idea that like, no man, like billionaire owners who, who have to like talk to their billionaire fellow owners and probably like get shit on because they're losing fucking by 50 every night on the court. Like they're, they're going to get sick of that real quick, especially when you're not even close to selling at the stadium and not just that, like it's a business. So like in a business, if you are cutting every corner to like maximize your own profit while taking money away from the other teams. Which is essentially what he was doing with like how he was gaming the cap floor and all that shit. Like you're gonna piss people off and they're gonna get you fucking fired. Like that's what happened, you know. Like and you can sit there and cry about oh like he got promised this and he got promised that. And you know I mean I don't give a fuck what he was promised, dude. Like it's it's a business. And when you stop, like what what are you delivering? Like what? Like people act like this guy did nothing wrong when he was there. Okay, the fucking guy took Joel Okafor. Like, in the book, they make it even fucking clear that he didn't think Okafor was even worth the pick. But he took him because Porzingis, like, you know, uh, the one great thing Porzingis did in his life is fucking, like, basically not work out for them and duck them and avoid them. But, like, everything he thought was that Porzingis was better, but he was scared to take him. And he was scared to take him. Why? Because he needed a player that had to be on the court that year. Because he had already had, like... You know, he had the Embiid thing and he had Nerland's Noel before that. And like both those guys missed their rookie years. And Joel Embiid was probably going to miss more. He did end up missing like most of that second season, too. And I think all of it actually. He right? missed all
3: of it and then played yeah. 31 in his third year.
2: Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. like, you got this whole thing going on. And like, you know, yeah, then he has to take Okafer because he. The best player on the board, apparently, you know, fucking next level thinking Hinky couldn't think of anybody else other than Joel Okafor to fucking take there. Um, And like his whole thing was like, oh, well, I can just flip him later for a better deal. And it's like, yeah, man. But like, that's not how basketball works, because in basketball, you're not going to play two fucking shithead centers next to each other and up either of their value. And like, guess what? It didn't work like surprise, you know, like this idea. Like, yeah, he set them up great. I still haven't heard a convincing argument for like he was totally going to be the guy that that could take all the stuff he had built up in and like make them into this contending team. And like I find that interesting because in like a very ass-backwards way and like, yes, the Knicks don't have a Ben Simmons or a Joel Embiid level talent, which is funny after I just completely shit on Joel Embiid. But the Knicks don't have that level of like young talent. But like in a lot of ways, like the, in some fucked up way, like – the kind of, like, Phil and Steve Mills fucking, like, regimes have left the Knicks with, like, a lot of, like, shit to work with. But, like, I don't think anybody really is convinced that Steve Mills was going to be the one to, like, take the shit and make it into something, like, good. Um, So, I don't know. I I think I've rambled for long enough. But, uh, yeah, I guess somehow, uh, Drew, segue this into Jeremy's article.
1: I will segue I, this into no, – Jeremy, stop. I will segue okay. this You're pod. into You're – right. You're right. Exactly, into Jeremy's article. So if you guys are not familiar, uh, Jeremy does write occasionally for Nick's Film School. You can find it on nicksfilmschool.com or you can subscribe <laughs> to it through the, your email. However, yeah. that specifically works. And
2: can Jeremy I, decided – Jonathan Macri email you every morning. Yeah,
1: Jonathan Macri will email you personally. Like that's they don't have like an email platform And Macri actually gets up at five o'clock in the morning and emails every single person who's subscribed <laughs> to it. Because he has like individually, mind you. Individually, individually all yeah.
3: Personalized
1: emails
0: <laughs> that he just hey, how crafts the himself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that's what he does. So uh, Jeremy wrote he tied everything together with the idea of like building a team the the proper way and tying it all into um, the decision because um Racist, misogynist Bill Simmons wanted to distract <laughs> his racist um, and misogynist um, tendencies and personality by distracting everyone by like, oh yeah, LeBron wanted to join the Knicks
2: just, in 2010. Uh, just one question for Jeremy: When you wrote this, did you run it by your buddy House, um, and, what were his, <laughs> and what were his thoughts on it?
3: Just, you know, buddy House.
2: <laughs> oh, you don't know? That's like yeah. Bill Simmons' buddy. Like he always yeah. Okay, Joe House. No I House. wasn't.
3: I wasn't the Grantland era. Grantland kind of wrapped around oh, the time. He's on the
2: Ringer. He's not even on Grantland.
3: I don't even follow the Ringer much. But so no, the answer is uh, I am afraid I Jesus. did not run up on Mister House.
2: Jeremy. Yeah, but yes. House
3: was on the Grantland stuff too. What about Jacko?
2: Jeremy's like twenty-five, going on seventy-eight.
1: Yeah, I know. <laughs> I go to the I go to the Bagel Shop to get my newspaper <laughs> <laughs> and my light and sweet coffee, probably.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, also, like, fuck Bill Simmons. Like, I mean, it was a nice... I mean, none of it's... I, I believe everything he said. But, like, I knew that. Like, we all knew this stuff 10 years ago. I don't know why it's a new story now. But, yeah, anyway. Anyway, uh,
1: Jeremy with, now this is your cue. Go for it.
3: All right, yeah. So, the, I think the big problem with Knicks fans, and I understand why, because Knicks fans have been... Um, hoping for so much and expectations have just completely fallen flat so many times. It's this desire or this need to suppress the desire of finding a savior. I don't look at at free agency as inherently a bad thing. Um, I mean, we even found out today there was some report that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wanted to go to the Knicks and the Knicks didn't necessarily want him. Uh,
2: was- so I can I can. <laughs> this is really funny because. Actually, Bill Simmons in his book of basketball, like, has a huge segment. Like, he, it's it's true. Like, it's you know, he has a huge thing on this about so how like the Knicks fucked that up. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. sorry, go ahead. Right, but that was obviously
3: Dolan's fault too. Even before he owned the team, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, right, <laughs> that is the only reason why any player doesn't want to come here. No, it's it's the sort of thing where I look at it and everything I see about this front office indicates to me, yeah, there is a change on the horizon. They are looking to build through the draft if they can. They have a high enough pick. But ideally, you look at this and nothing about hiring Leon Rose, Worldwide West, Alex Klein, or even Brock Aller signify or suggests that, hey, we're going to take this slow. And especially with the rumors now coming even more to a head of Tom Thibodeau. I mean, who knows? He could be the coach in a couple of weeks. Maybe it's someone completely different. But if he is the coach in a few weeks, I mean, nothing about that says like, hey, Thibodeau, you're going to coach until you're 65. Uh, you, you're going to basically have this organic young team. I'm sure he would love that more than anything. But I think the biggest thing with this front office is it recognizes the power of the brand. And, and Steve Stout talked about this, too, where people kind of shout on the Knicks because it's like, oh, well, you know, it's the Knicks are never going to get a, a free agent until Dolan's gone. Uh, or how are they going to revive the brand if they keep sucking? Uh, simple. You stop sucking. You make concentrated efforts to get better over time. And it really just takes one season to completely change everything about the trajectory of a franchise. Uh, The Nets know it very well. They were a (laughs) crap team. They picked eighth in 2018. And before you know it, Dela goes off and then now they have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and every other great player. And DeAndre Jordan. Right, exactly. Um, And none of them's even really going to play in Orlando. So it's perfect. But. That's the thing. There, <laughs> there are different ways to build a team. And a lot of it seems very, it seems abstract, right? Because you you look at these players and they go, oh, well, they'll never go here. But no Lakers fan or any Lakers fan who said and say, what, 2016? Like, oh, LeBron's going to come here. Everyone right. would have said, why is LeBron going to come here? What? You have a shitty team. Everyone's young. He has no supporting cast. And yet he he did that. He went by himself to a team completely unprecedented. Or the fact that the Clippers, they managed to appeal to Kawhi and then said, we're going to trade everything in our arsenal, essentially, that we can for Paul George. And he said, yeah, that works. And the bottom line here is that there's really no one way to build it. I mean, as I look at my cat, there are several ways to skin a cat here. And it's the sort of thing. Where- oh,
2: that's
1: that's
0: nice. That's, yeah.
3: yeah. like why, do, you, do you skin cats for fun or something? Um, As we talked about earlier, I actually run a very successful uh, Torah business, and i, use the <laughs> I use for the tours. <laughs> For The Torahs and I sell them for about uh, ten grand a pop. So it's a very nice. lucrative business. Highly recommend it. Um, so yeah, it's it's the sort of thing where the Knicks are absolutely going to go after big stars in some capacity. And if you think about it, right? Like we don't know where the Knicks are going to fall in the draft, obviously. But think about the perception of Nick's draft, say, Killian Hayes versus Nick's draft Lamella Ball. And you you just get more buzz, you build, because you just get that one season to turn it around. Even if you do, what, like it, it took the Nets, I mean, they they got the sixth seed, but they had, what, like around 43 or so wins, if I recall correctly? 42. Right? 42. 42. So if you get even close to that number, you, you start to build. And it just, it really takes one guy. And if you open up, because... This is where I see the Knicks going. I see them doing the same thing in terms of keeping cap flexibility for next year, trying to appeal. I guess the the biggest difference, though, between the Mills-Perry squad and this one is I think they're going to try to build it right internally. Um, they're not going to try to build an entire team to cater to Kevin Durant for him to tear his Achilles and render everything useless. I think that they're actually going to say, "Look, we don't have a one-year push. We don't have to worry about saving our asses, like Steve Mills tried to do in trading for D'Angelo Russell mid-season. It's not going to be quite the same. And so you just wait for the right opportunity, and when that opportunity strikes, you go for it."
2: Yeah, I, I basically like don't know how anybody could disagree with that. I think it's like I don't really know. Uh, like there's a way to do this intelligently and there's a way to do it stupidly. Like the thing is ultimately if, even if your goal is I want this team to be attractive to every star player that comes on the market, like it's still inherently um, like, I mean, what you're trying to do is still the same. Like you're trying to draft well, trying to develop the guys you have, and you're trying to like acquire assets essentially. Um, so, like, like, if I'm the Knicks, I feel like my goal this summer or, like, over the next year, before next offseason, okay, let's just – because I don't – who the fuck knows what the, t- the, <laughs> the actual timeline is going to be. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm the Knicks, like, over the next y- – before offseason 2021, I want to have added another first-round pick to my future assets. I want – to have um, a better idea of every single young player on the roster. Um what they are, you know what is their role on a good team, what can they do? What do they need to work on? Like just get a better idea of all those guys. And like I I don't think like any of that is really that hard. I, I think like they can do that pretty easily. As long as they keep their goals and, like, what they want to do tight. Like, you know, like, if you sign, like, I don't think it's that hard for them to go out on the market this summer and add, like, two or three good vets that can shoot the floor and, like, move the ball. Like, that's not, like, I'm not asking them to fucking sign, like, you know, some huge difference makers here. Just like just sign three vets that can do that shit. And then you let the young guys do the heavy lifting. Like that's basically it. And I'm good with that. And like, you know, I mean, I'm not saying like they have to do that. Like there are ways they can, like I've advocated for them to sign Fred Van Lee. Like I would be fine with that too, but I don't think they're going to do that because I do agree with Jeremy that like, they, they seem to want to stay on this. Like they, they like the flexibility I think is important for them. And I don't, Totally agree with that because I think it's a really limiting factor. Like this is something I brought up maybe two or three years ago. Um, because I was like they what they signed what was it, Hazonia that one summer for like six and a half million. Is that right?
1: It was like six or eight million or something. For the mid level, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. And I remember like I was like saying at the time, I was like, look, like I if I'm the Knicks, like I would take that mid-level. I wanted them to sign bielitsa Like I showed Jeremy the tweets a few months ago. I found the tweets. Like it I was like, I was like, <laughs> the Knicks should like give their mid level to the of Bielica. And like, I'm not saying Bielica is some like stud player or anything, but like, that's an example of there wasn't much free cap space in that summer. So like, the Kings were able to get this guy who is a stretch four and can actually play the five, and is like super efficient, keeps like essentially the type of big that we are like, oh my god, it'd be awesome for Mitchell Robinson to play next somebody like that, like. They got this guy locked up for three years, nineteen million. Like when you like, there's there are contracts. Like I can understand the Van Vliet thing because it's like it's not going to be a three year twenty million dollar contract, right? Like it's going to be a significant contract. Mm-hmm. Like the like somebody like Bielitsa, and I'm trying to think of an example. I, I I I'll take a look after I shut the fuck up. But like there are going to be guys this summer that like because there isn't a lot of free cap space. And it, there's even less now probably because of the coronavirus pandemic. So, like, the Knicks are going to have opportunities to sign players that, like, you can get on a multi-year deal for cheaper probably than maybe you would have been able to previously. And they should take advantage of that because that can be an inefficiency an to return an asset too. like. What if you can sign? I'm just throwing out a name. I know it's not a realistic thing, but let's say like you can sign Gallinari for I don't know three years, thirty million. Like if you can do that, why would you not do that? I guarantee you if you do that, and as long as he stays healthy, which is like I guess that's a big bet, but like as long as he stays relatively healthy, I guarantee you if you sign to that contract, you can get a first round pick and an expiring contract from the contender, hundred percent guaranteed um, at, at the deadline next year. I think that's like almost certain. Because like that, like the issue with why and why we got a first for Marcus Morris this year, I think is because largely because this draft sucked. Um, <laughs> so like teams knew that and the Clippers and Lakers have their own weird thing going on there. Um, but like with Gallinari, if you're saying, hey, give us an expiring contract and a first round pick and you get to get, get this guy for this year, but also for two more years, like that becomes inherently a lot more attractive to a team that's looking to add him to bolster kind of like, you know, their rotation, push for a championship, playoff run, whatever. Um, So I don't know, like, I just think that there are so many things and so many ways for the Knicks to go about doing it. But like, essentially, I just want them to add another first round pick, develop their young guys. And like, you know, I mean, I think they can add more than just one first round pick, maybe like some seconds and shit like that, too. But yeah, I mean, like, basically, I think, I think that's like what... Jeremy would say is like a good idea for them to do over the next year, and I don't know. how I mean, I would love to hear an argument for like why they shouldn't do that.
1: Shouldn't like just sign like a Gallinari type?
2: I mean, like, play I, the young players. No, I mean like Gallinari is not stopping you from like you know this is the thing. The Knicks, the reason why the, what the Knicks did last summer sucked is because they signed these seven guys, and then like all of them were promised playing time and specific roles, and so it took away from the young guys. You don't need to do that. Like, you can sign two – like, if you sign two good shooters, right? Like, I mean, the Sixers basically did this, right? They signed J.J. Redick to, like, $500 billion for one year. Um, and, like, I forgot, maybe one other guy that summer. But it's like, you can do that. And then, like, are you're, you're not taking away minutes from your young guys. You're actually helping them. It's an investment – into your young core. You're saying, "Hey, look, this guy can help these like he can space the floor. He can score a little bit. He's going to make life easier for RJ Barrett to figure out what he can and can't do as a primary or secondary option. He's going to help Mitchell Robinson have a bunch more space rolling to the rim off the pick and roll. He's going to help literally everybody by just being a scoring threat from like 30 feet out. You know, like I don't see how Gallinari or <laughs> like, like if you sign Golinari and Joe Harris to one-year contracts apiece, like, how – what are you – How? I would love to hear a single argument for why that is a bad investment and why that actually, like, takes away from the young players in the team. I have no idea how.
1: The only bad thing I could think of – like, I'm just trying to think of, like, uh, process Twitter. I think the only bad thing that would be would be, like, they're not, like, long-term cheap deals. Right, like, That'd be the only thing I can actually
3: I think, it's think more, of, but yeah, I can't so think of anything else. I was going in a similar vein as you, Drew. It's basically, if you could say there's no alpha in the building, that you're getting players who are too good and give you too many wins. So all that time when you should have had a 14% chance at, say, Cade Cunningham, now you're just reducing your odds even more. And mind you, and Schwinn can attest to this. I am 100% in favor of bringing in Gallinari and Joe Harris on one-year deals. I, that's where I'm currently at right now and then kind of figuring out other pieces. But it's a sort of thing where if you're able to get your guy in the building before and if you and your guy being through the draft, like let's say in this case, LML ball all type, um, if you also then, it's kind of the, the disagreement of, okay, well, what do you have a higher chance of doing? Getting a star in the top five of the draft now or getting – Top free agents immediately. And it's tough because you could kind of evaluate it either way. But if you feel like you have a better chance than 14%, for example, of getting Kate Cunningham, and that 14% better than chance is getting those free agents, then it makes sense to build a team that is geared towards winning so you can try to show you're turning it around, you're able to win with these guys. You have a structure in place. You have systems in place. You can adapt those systems to fit those players' um, strengths and hide their weaknesses. And then that's how you do it. Because again, there really aren't that many other spots for these guys on big contracts or, who are big stars and looking to to potentially flee or, or or potentially even stay where they are. But for the sake of the argument, let's say they want to leave. There really aren't that many places that can afford to do that, right? Like both the LA markets are totally off the books. The Brooklyn market, gone. Chicago is a dumpster fire. Where else is there? No, that's to- not true.
2: They have our kind that's of That's us. You're right.
3: You're mm-hmm. right. And they might be bringing back Boylan so they're in better shape than I, I give them credit for. So it's the sort of thing where if you wanted to have some stars hook up in some way, <laughs> kinky, I know, where would they even go? And that's the thing. It's like there, there is a pristine option. You, ha- You're able to do something, and there aren't that many – places that can compete with what you're able to offer, which is the framework of a solid team around you, picks to help you build around those players moving forward, and flexibility to do things. Because, and I guarantee you, this is probably the next plan moving forward because they won't know what the 2021-2022 salary cap is going to look like because COVID is going to run ragged on the league the following year. I I mean, like, I just got an email about subscribing for... Next season is season tickets, and I don't see how there's any way they're going to let any fans in the building. But if we we are to assume that the salary cap is a mess once again, then it's the sort of thing where, okay, maybe locking into these long-term deals doesn't make a whole lot of sense right now. And so if you're doing that, the Knicks' plan is probably let's open up enough cap space to go for at least one star, but preferably two. Let's get them in-house, and then let's go over the cap to re-sign Mitch. I think the
1: only, uh, like, I've, I've been trying to think of, like, this type of, like, counter argument you can do. And I think the only one that's available really is, like, the draft odds for the 2021 draft. Cause I'm just trying to think about this, like, a little more. So if you were to, like, say, cause it makes sense, like, you should try to put the young players in a better position so they can practice winning games and you should do all this and You shouldn't actually worry about the draft odds, especially now. Like, that totally makes sense, and it's really hard to argue against. There's also a part of me that's kind of thinking, if this isn't, like, long-term in any sort of fashion, why not just field a tank team, in a way, and you have young players who fit, and maybe not, and even or even some veterans that probably more theoretically fit than actually produce fit, in a way, and just go all in on just relying completely so, on the young players like that's the only like that's the only thing i could think of and so, just like really play for the odds for 2021
2: I, I will say this if jeremy is right and there are no fans in arenas next year the knicks should do that then because a big reason why i think anybody that's thinking the knicks are just gonna like tank you know, or like, not necessarily. I hate you saying the word tank, but essentially, like, yeah, no. just roll the ball out and let the young guys do whatever. But we're not going to actually like try to help them in any way with like our roster building this year. Um, like, if there's ever a time to do that, it would be when there's no fans in the stadium because Dolan isn't losing out on ticket money. That like he's already lost out on the ticket money, right? Like it's gone, it's out there. There's there's nothing. No a improved product isn't changing that. Yeah, it's going to hurt the TV odds probably. Maybe I don't know that the TV viewership will go down. I don't know how much that actually impacts his bottom line. I don't think it's as much as um, in a, on a yearly basis as as like, I don't know how the TV contract is negotiated. So my Mm -hmm. assumption is that like, that is like a pre, you know, you know what I mean? It's like already negotiated the prices. I'm not sure. Um, But like, anyway, my point is like, if there's not going to be fans there, you're already losing out on that. That would be the the situation to do it. I think
3: um, if unless in- unless as a to try to stimulate some sort of cash infusion, you're able to sign these stars and then you print these jerseys and people buy them up because they have if you're if you're employed and you have a lot more disposable income, then you're going to want to spend your money on something and you're excited. Like that's the only thing you think of. But but yeah, I do agree if yeah. like the whole appeal of having mellow, at least the, ar- the biggest argument, in my opinion, of having mellow come back. It's basically, oh, yeah, you know, if he wants to retire, it's in front of the home crowd, it's a homecoming, that's great. But if there are no fans for him to do that for, then why would he necessarily be coming to New York?
2: Yeah, and who cares? Like, fuck that then. Um, yeah, it's a, like, I'm just thinking of the idea of just... Well, like, I mean, I, I, all I was going to say, is though, is that, like, if... So, like, but, like, if fans are going to be... Or if they're planning in the event that, like, fans are going to be allowed back, it is asinine to believe that James Dolan who has seen this team not go to the playoffs since 2013 Um, say what you will about James Dolan as a man and all that stuff. But like has definitely spent money in that time in between Um, hasn't, you know, it's not like he's forcing his GMs to run some poverty franchise in that sense. Like he's always signing checks. He's always comfortable letting them, you know, explode the wage bill and stuff like that. But like, you know he spends money, so he wants to see this team not suck. And I know that's surprising for a lot of people, uh, but yeah, like James Olin wants this team to be in the playoffs, he or he, he at least wants the team to be a good product on the court. And I think like that's the entire thing. And it's like it was like that whole thing with Fisdale earlier in the season. James Olin is pretty much basketball, like he's a basketball illiterate in many ways. He could tell that that was a terrible product that we were putting on the court to start the year. He could tell that. Like 10 games of the season, he was like, "All right, I've seen enough. Scott and Steve get your asses in here. You know, fire Fizdale or if not, you better go out there and fucking say something." Um but like he could tell this a shitty product. And like he doesn't want to sell a shitty product. He wants to sell a good fucking product. So, you know, I I this I just think that like it's it's just unrealistic to it, and, that's a Dolan issue, but like that's—it's unrealistic to expect a front office to come in and be like, "All right, James, the plan this year, okay, get this—the plan is to suck." All right, You give it that. Like, <laughs> it's not a realistic plan. Like,
3: we know that you've sucked for seven years before. <laughs> Our needs, baby, just need one more bad season. Yeah,
2: like, but I think I think I do agree. Like, if fans aren't allowed in the stadium, I think that becomes a lot easier of a sell. I think you could just be like, "Hey, look, like." we're not going to get fans in here no matter literally no matter what and like you know just from a pure odds perspective this is the best like this is our, the best thing for us to do let these kids just run out there but like you know in lieu of that i think the best middle ground is like i like, I don't know if we're gonna get i'm not saying like i don't know if we're gonna get gone or not if we're gonna get joe harris or not but there are like i mean i just named the best wing shooter and the best stretch forward on the market this summer right so like If you don't sign those guys, which is completely realistic and maybe even likely, like there are lesser options at those positions that effectively fill the same purpose, just not as good. Like you can sign those guys, and they're not gonna affect your win curve that much. You know, like for uh, as an example, like I know people hated Wayne Ellington for whatever fucking reason this year, but like Wayne Ellington. Is fine. Like, he's, Mm -hmm. you know, he's effectively just like the type of player Joe Harris is. He's way worse than Joe Harris. Don't get me wrong. He's way worse than Joe Harris, but he's effectively filling the same type of role, right? Like, people lose their fucking mind over Dotson. Oh my God. Like, the Knicks just did Damian Dotson wrong. And like, fuck, like, you got to keep this kid because he's got a fucking, you know, chip on his shoulder and the Knicks did him dirty and all this. But like, ultimately, like, Damian Dotson he just fills the same type of role, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's a wing shooter guy. Cool. Like we are overvaluing, you know what he is because we had like, you None know, yeah. I mean, we had fucking Bobby Portis as our stretch four this year. Like, you know, like we were just a spacing deficient team. So like you're overvaluing, but effectively those guys fill those roles. So like, if you get rid of the vets that you had to promise big minutes to, so like Morris and Elf and, and uh, you know Portis and fucking whoever else, Bullock. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Bullock they'll keep just because that ch- option is so cheap. I would just, yeah, I would. That's
1: definitely someone to bring back because he kind of feels like that that quote unquote shooter wing three and D type. Boy, yeah. who doesn't actually a like a actual thing like he's definitely someone they should bring back Yeah, and that
3: that archetype is the type of player where you could flip him for a matching a contract that that sucks and you get a decent pick out of it
2: yeah and like I, I, it just i just think that like he said like what do i want the next to do the next need to add some level of playmaking like on ball creation be that uh in the draft or in free agency, like a Goran Dragic for a year or something. Um, They need to add a couple of shooters, preferably one on the wing, and one as a stretch four. That's all I want them to do this summer. And I don't think that's asking a whole lot. And then, like, if they can also turn Julius Randle into some, like, like, I I think the one I just can't keep coming back to is, like, Julius Randle and Dennis Jr. to Charlotte for, like, you know, Monk and Batum and a couple of seconds or something like do that trade yesterday, you know, like I'm very fine with that. I don't need, I'm pretty sure that works under the cap, but like, I just think that like, if you do, if you, if you do that, you are empowering, uh, whoever you draft this year, in the lottery, RJ Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, Nilakina, Knox, like these guys, whatever you, we all can think about who, what they all are individually. Like you're basically like putting the onus of doing the heavy lifting on them. And, and then you're saying like, look, but like we actually have some shooters this year who will like let you do the heavy lifting and not, you know, spin into triple teams like Julius Randall or pass to nobody else but Julius Randall like Alfred Payton and shit like that. Like I, I just think that like, that's the what they need to do, and I do. I actually think that like that's ultimately what the general, you know, like path for next season is going to be. Um, whatever the specifics of it, I I'm just worried that they
1: can't really move Julius Randall though. That's what I'm like. I don't really know how movable he really is in terms of like contract, team fit, need anything like that. Like, I'm just worried that there's a perception now because of how he played the first during like the Fizdell time. Like there's like a skewed perception of him and he's not actually tradable. Like I'm just, like, I'm just trying to think of where he would like, what team would actually want him.
3: Yeah, it's possible. I would say that I think the one thing about fans of a team as well is we overrate players who are doing well and we then underrate players who are doing poorly because Julius Randle, I believe, what, didn't he average 19 and 9 and, like, 55 true shooting percentage under Mike Miller?
2: It was, like, this, he was, like, 50. He was, like, basically, he was 20, 20 10 just under three assists, like, 55 true shooting yeah. under Mike Miller. So, you know, I mean, I looked it up once. There's, like, I don't know. There's, like, five other guys in the NBA that basically did it over the full season. Yeah, said, like.
1: Yeah, but it was like guys like Kareem doing like 13, 15. I think. Well, 30,
2: no, no, no. I- I'm saying this past season. It was like oh, five okay, other yeah. guys that did it. And it was like, yes, granted, most of them had true shooting efficiencies like far greater than Randall. But they're also guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> so what Randall did, like, I understand how annoying of a player he is. And I am also equally annoyed by him. But like, there's a fine line between being like, "All right, we need to move this guy," versus being like, "I don't think he's as bad as some people think." Like, I, I, I genuinely think there's a team in India that'll look at him and be like, "Look, like, why not take a fucking year flyer on Julius Randle? What's a what? What a char. What the fuck is Charlotte doing with their cap space?
3: Well, it's that's fuck- the thing. The Hornets haven't had a good free agent signing since Tony Parker, and Tony Parker was on his last legs like if you look at historically what they what they do every season they trade for players and then sign guys from within or they draft they really don't do that much else so if you've got a team like the hornets and Julius Randle doesn't have to do that much he basically just has to fill the Bismack biombo role and do a, and for a little bit more and it's perfect for them because they can either say, we don't want anything to do with him after one year and it costs them $4 million and they have so much cap space that it doesn't even matter. Because again, they don't sign anyone. Or they could then say, hey, this is actually working. Let's bring him back. Yeah, he's a little expensive, but hey, again, we have a ton of cap space and we don't spend it on anything. So we can do that because I get the sense that, and look, it wouldn't be wrong for them to take on a salary dump, but I feel like we... As fans tend to just be like, oh, yeah, the team has capsules. They'll just they'll take them on, on a mammoth sam- uh, salary dump and it's fine. And it's like, it just, teams don't really do that that often, especially last year when we thought that it was going to be an entire summer of teams just dumping salaries right and left. There are only two, really, there, there were only two deals that went down a- after 2016. And that was the biggest spending time of paying garbage players that we've ever seen. <clears throat> So if that only happened twice, shout out Joe Kim Noah. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Then the (laughs) odds of it happening in excess now, especially when the salary cap is only going to get smaller and teams are going to want to figure out how they can build their team properly. And by properly, I mean, adding talent. I mean, sure. You could say that every team wants to add talent differently. And maybe in this case, it would be taking on a salary dump, but I just don't (laughs) think that that's going to be as big of a deal as we've thought it was in the past. Maybe some, you know, some team that is dying to get out of the tax bracket dumps someone, but I just don't see it quite like we've pictured it before.
2: Yeah, I mean, I just think that whole like obsession over that like market is so weird. Like, uh, I and Memphis Kleinman, uh, what is Zach? Is it Kleinman or is it Kleinman? I think it's just Kleinman. Kleinman, I think. Okay, whatever. Um, he like, look, he's done a good job there. Uh, I'm not going to deny that. But like, you know, people lost it. Oh, he got the salary done. We got the first round pick for Ricky you And know, like, okay, great. Like, I'm happy. One of those existed. Um, two, if you want to count the Harkless thing, and I'll buy you a cookie if you really, genuinely can tell me that you think Pat Riley was going to give the a first round pick to the Knicks. To to take the Moharca, sorry. Like I'll give you a cookie, um, but like you know, like there's two. Of, so like there's fucking two of these in the entire summer, and people are losing their mind because the Knicks didn't do it. And it's like, like I just I, don't, I can't I can't get there with that. Um, I think there are times that doing that is good. I think the Knicks, if it's available, sure do it. Like I have no problem with it. But I also think that like it's okay to not do that. And like I don't think it's a sign of like. They're stupid. Like this is automatically stupid. Um, everything that would like that's done. Like, I mean, effectively the Knicks got a first round pick for Marcus Morris, right? So like mm-hmm. effectively kind of the same thing that the salary dump was. Um, we also got a second round pick from that that's it's Detroit second in that trade. Um, the Clippers had it. They gave us Detroit second in the 2021 draft, which again like we've mentioned several times, is allegedly like... like The 2021 and 2022 drafts are supposed to be just stacked. Um, 2022 specifically because it's the double draft. So like if I'm the Knicks... Like that, like specifically if I'm the Knicks, I am trying to get a pick in that draft. That's what I want. I'm trying to get a, another first-round pick or second or something. I'm trying to get picks in that draft because it's going to end up being like this one year f- fluky thing where it's just a loaded draft because you can have high school kids coming out. Um, So I don't know. Like I, I'm I, I just uh, with with all this stuff, it's just like the Knicks the one really positive thing that I can say about Rose so far and I don't even know if this is for sure, but like I think it's a good sign that he brought in somebody like Brock Oller into the front office, because from what I have gathered, his entire thing is like playing the asset game and turning contracts and finding contracts that he thinks can like provide more trade flexibility and essentially help net future assets. Um So like, you know, we'll probably talk about this fucking loser sometime later in the, in this podcast. Um, But like, you know, waving Alonzo Trier, who is a piece of shit and sucks at basketball. He's not actually a piece of shit. He just sucks at basketball. (laughs) Uh, And signing the greatest cheerleader of all time, Dio Pinson, like a contract that has an option that's later, but they don't need to exercise until much later. Like, I just think like, Doing things like that and bringing in a guy like that, I I feel like the Knicks, it's I'm cautiously optimistic. The Knicks understand that like that like even if their goal is we want to sign Giannis, okay, like stupid goal, but let's say that's their goal. Um, if that's their goal, like I think that they understand they have to go about it in a different way, and I I think like I feel like that's. Essentially, what Jeremy's article was about was like, look, like there are dumb ways to go about signing, like trying to like get stars, and then there are smart ways to go about doing it. The Knicks have to just do it the smart way and not the stupid Knicks way.
1: Yeah, no, they have to. They just have to focus. I would just say, collecting the assets with the draft and just diving everything they can into. Young players, because it's basically the the best option to like as a as a fail safe. Because if you don't sign anyone, you could just like, all right, well, we are these young players. We'll just build around them and continue going from there, and constantly like accumulating different first round picks, and you're drafting players and doing all that until something eventually does. Like the the other shoe drops in a way. So like that's they have to do that now. Like I feel like it, this is the point now. Like there's no, I don't want like hopefully there's no turning back for them because that's the thing they have to do. Move for it. The only way they're going to get a star player, anyway. So,
3: yeah, I feel like the one key component of that trade that you left out, Schwin, uh, in my opinion, the best component was the fact that Scott Perry secured uh, the ability to swap picks <laughs> with the Clippers. It's five through thirty protected, but goddammit, it, what a suave move by Scott! <laughs> yeah, it's it's the sort of thing where look, I feel like I feel like we'd be doing a disservice if we didn't just say who the players that they're going after in 2021 is and, like you could see the popper rumor right and i talked about this a little bit with john but it's it's like all these fans got so upset because popper said that the knicks probably want to get kid in the building because they think it'll lead to a better chance with anna de and i 100 believe it like why is that so hard to believe that the knicks would be interested in the best player in the nba i i understand that you know it's like okay well that's not a reason to bring in kid and i wholeheartedly agree i don't want Jason Kidd, I don't want him anywhere in the building anymore. It's the sort of thing, though, where you have to look at what opportunities you can present yourselves. And just, yeah, you're you're presenting it at these two guys. These two guys being, let's be honest, Giannis DeCumpo, Anthony Davis. And just taking all that aside, because this is the one thing that's so curious to me about Anthony Davis, is as good as LeBron is, and he's great, we don't know how much longer he's going to be playing at this level. And he's going to be 38 years old, I believe, when his contract expires. And It's the sort of thing where, okay, how are the Lakers going to build around Anthony Davis? It, it, to me, it doesn't seem like yeah, right. Kuzma. You, you've got Kuzma, and that's it. <laughs> and know, another guy. There's your big
2: <laughs> Mono from Heaven. <laughs> <Right. laughs> <laughs> so I it's the sort it of cover. thing
3: where if you're if you're Anthony Davis, right, and you're looking for an opportunity that isn't the Lakers because. LeBron essentially bleeds every team dry that he's ever been on and ruins their future moving forward. And honestly, why would Anthony Davis want to stick around for a team that has absolutely no picks throughout the duration of his next long-term contract, no star in the building? And yes, you could say, well, he's attracting other stars, but the issue there is if the Lakers don't get any players after LeBron's contract's up and they've signed Anthony Davis to a long-term deal then Anthony Davis's career is just rotting away. You're basically looking at a situation like Kevin Love, and I don't see him wanting that. But again, who knows, right? Because LeBron went to the Lakers when no one thought he would or no reason why he should from a basketball perspective. So then you look at Anthony Davis and you look at the fact that where else would he go, right? What other teams would even be able to appeal to him? And the list is so short that I just keep going back to it. It's like, what team has an advantage that hypothetically – a year, two years, even three years, whatever it is, down the line, would have over the Knicks. And I just don't really see it. I don't see what those teams might have. And again, that's not me saying he's going. That's not me saying he should go, although personally I feel like he should. It's just a question of how you're able to build things because the league moves so quickly that really like, no one would have thought that certain players would be on certain teams. And yet here we
2: are. I mean like the, the AD, so AD is A D so A D is technically he's a free agent this summer, correct?
1: Yeah. And you know when uh two K if you offer him a max contract with the Knicks, if the Lakers don't win the championship, he's like it's like a ninety nine percent guarantee he
2: signs with them. So we just need the Lakers not win the championship, and he's probably gonna be a Nick. Is that what you're saying? Yeah,
1: that's exactly what I'm saying. Based on uh two K uh, based on the, the excellent uh game NBA two K twenty is it twenty one yeah. or twenty twenty? I don't know what the current twenty twenty, twenty
2: twenty. There you go. Um so like I think he's gonna sign he's gonna sign a one year contract he's gonna sign one plus one or he's just
1: he's just gonna pick up the option like yeah. whatever's things. more yeah. sense but it's
2: it's the it's it's always gonna be the opt down sign because you get the twenty percent bump instead of the seven and a half percent uh oh yeah contract true. yep yep so'll you know, like,
3: depending if the salary cap crashes though to the point where his salary would be that much less you see what I'm saying but like, but, it, it but would, it's unlikely for that to happen.
2: So yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, whatever it is, I don't really care. I think he's going to sign one plus one or stay for another year, whatever it is. Um And then I think that gives him that qual- so that qualifies him then for the thirty percent max, right? Or he's already qualified.
1: 30% he could, already. It could be a
3: thirty-five. I'll double check yeah. right now. He's thirty-five after the twenty twenty-two season. I want to say. Okay, right. well, I'll I'll look this up.
2: So so what like realistically what I could see happening then is that. 80 opts out this summer, sends a two plus one. He sends a two year deal. And that actually aligns him perfectly for LeBron because LeBron's contract expires at the end of the 21 22 season, if I remember correctly. Because um, this is, he signed a four year guarantee. I think it was all guaranteed when he moved to the Lakers. So this is second year. Yeah. So that, like, it lines up perfectly. And I think he bounces after that because I agree. Like, I don't see what path the Lakers have unless they like what they have one, they have a first in 2021, I think like if they somehow land some incredible star talent later in the draft with that pick, like sure, maybe then I can be, I can see like him being like, Oh wow. Like we can do this. But other than that, like I'm, I feel like pretty confident he's going to bounce. Um, and that could be, to any number of teams. It's Anthony Davis. He can go wherever the hell he wants. If he wants to go sign for fucking Memphis, they'll find a way to get it done. You know, it's not like <laughs> it's not a big deal for him. He can go wherever the hell he wants. So, like, I don't know. I mean, uh, I, are the Knicks in that fucking sweepstakes? I have no idea, man. That's so far away. I we all know that apparently, for whatever reason, the Knicks and the Lakers were the only two teams. He said he would like extend to it play for essentially and be like so we know that i think that there is something there with like i don't i'm not the whole clutch thing is weird like i don't know exactly what's going on there um but it definitely seems like rich paul wants to get his tentacles into madison store garden um i i pretty much, I really, like really strongly feel that way and I think Mitchell I mean, Robinson it,
1: it, it totally makes sense because we always talk about how we want to be James Dolan's you know friend because once you're his friend you're golden so like <laughs> <laughs> like it's kind of the thing so that totally makes sense yeah um, and
2: like I, I think Mitchell Robinson was a, a means to that end um like I just I just I, it sounds it's so stupid because it's like people will like take this and be like oh you think they're going to sign anything names I don't but I don't think that, like, it doesn't matter if I think that if, even if I tell you they're 1,000% not going to get Anthony Davis, it doesn't change the fact that, like, I still think they need to do the same things. Like, the things that will make them attractive to stars are the things that will help them rebuild. Like, they're the things that will make them a good basketball team again. So, like, that's all, like, I, I don't think this stuff is, like, it's not, like, running against each other, right? Right. What runs against each other is being like we want to develop our young core and then not starting five vets. Like that's the shit that like doesn't make sense. Saying we want to be attractive to star players does not mean we're trading everybody right now and Nilikina pack your bags, Knox pack your bags, everybody but RJ Barrett and Mitchell Robinson pack your bags. Like that might be ultimately where it goes. But it's not where it starts. Like that, it's. I'm almost positive, and I feel very strongly about this. Like I really. Like, last summer, if you like, I think Scott Perry, if if Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are like we're ready to sign, I think Scott Perry is like literally giving Nilakino away to any team that's willing to give him a top fifty nine protected second round pick. Yes, like pretty much. I I think that's like hundred percent for sure, and. Like I just don't see these guys operating in the same way. Like I, I really think that for this next year at least, we're going to get like the functional version of what we should have done this year. Um, like I think we're going to get that this year. I, I think that these young guys are going to play a lot more together. Um, I, 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 I'm pretty strongly about that. Um, I also, I also think like, hey man, if you believe that the Knicks have interest in like Donovan Mitchell, which I definitely believe the Knicks have interest in Donovan Mitchell. They're not going to trade Frank Lakino. It's not going to happen. Like because like they they already fucking learned. They, like I think if anybody gets this, it'll be like Leon Rose and Roll Wide West. Right? If you want to get a guy to want to come to your team, you don't trade his best friend.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Look, like, the the, the Nets just did that with DeAndre Jordan. They wasted over a tenth of their cap space on DeAndre Jordan because of the fact that he's their best bud. And it makes total sense why they would do that. I think it's a stupid idea, but that's the price of, you know, that comes with the devil. It's the pact you make. And and I think that what you're saying in terms of Rich Paul, it makes a lot of sense why he would try to infiltrate MSG because it's something that he really hasn't been able to do a good job of. And Mitchell Robinson is probably the best bet in terms of what he's able to do. But yes, with, with Anthony Davis, the big thing to me is we could talk about connections, but there are so many things that link the Knicks to Anthony Davis that it just makes so much sense why they would target him. Like, yes, you talked about the fact that he had the Knicks and the Lakers that he on his list of preferred teams, and that's where you would I love, sign.
2: He, I love that he called it a list, by the way. Right, exactly. Two teams.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so the, the big thing about that as well is a lot of te- a lot of um players have this where Nike will actually give you a bigger contract for being in a bigger market because the brand exposure, I think Kevin Durant had this in his contract and that was a, another factor in terms of why he wanted to go. Um, You've got that, like all this shit about how uh, Bagley reporting John Calipari and he's consistently said this, right? Like, if I had a dollar for every time Ian has said the Knicks would love to interview and take on John Calipari, he says probably, that at the end of every video, right? It's it's incessant, <laughs> but but I see why he, <laughs> but I see why he does it, right? Because of the fact that again, who was his like who played for John Calipari? Anthony Davis, or the fact that they brought in William Wesley. And I was reading this on Wesley's Wikipedia page, but he had he's so close with Calipari. And the fact that when the Wildcats won the national championship, Anthony Davis went into the stands with Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, who obviously is the number one target for the Knicks this offseason. Yes. They they went into the stands and they found Wesley and they hugged him because he was in the family section. Like, they are doing this on purpose. I guarantee you that if there's a player that they're trying to bring in, they're trying to replicate something that the Lakers are doing, where it's having an elite wing – having a big who loves playing the four because we know Anthony Davis hates playing the five and then getting a good, you know, like rim runner who can defend in space and down low. And it's okay to pay him more because you can just go over because you have his cap hold and you can exceed that. And that is going to be what their message is. The only problem is that obviously getting Giannis is a very ridiculous thing to say. Like I I feel much more confident saying they have a better chance at a player like Anthony Davis than Giannis. But then you look at Giannis's future, right? Right. And it's like, okay, well, in two years, you're going to have pretty much that entire team around him, 30 years old or older. And their picks are not going to be good for them to bring in a star. They're in a small market. They don't have cap space. They're not really going to be able to trade much in terms of upgrades. So how do you build around him? And then that's where that that whole thing of them trying to do this package deal while also saying we're patiently building around you. We can – if you want us to bring in a third star – we could potentially do that. We've got the pieces to make. If you want us to build around you, we're working on that and we can move around players because that's the other advantageous thing about having a bunch of small pieces versus a third star. You can trade a third star, but that's one contract. You've got to worry about matching. Whereas these other things with multiple contracts that add up to say a third star salary, you can move them in and out seamlessly. So it's going to be an entire way of building and constructing a team to these guys' mindset, and they fucking love that. Like the idea of LeBron being able to say, "Okay, well, I get to pick and choose the players that are on my team," and yeah, I'll, I'll take a small salary cut so Mike Miller and Udonis Haslam can play alongside me. That's great. It, they they love this. It's an ego trip.
2: Yeah, and I think um, you know it's like we keep saying like Giannis and AD, but it's not just these guys, right? Like like I totally think I, I think I think Oladipo is hundred percent a realistic turd. Like if you're, if I think it's fair to say like, you know, cause every team wants Giannis, every team wants AD. Like those guys are hard to get, obviously, no matter how well you plan it out, you're never going to know until, you know. Um, but like, I think a guy like Oladipo is a hundred percent attainable next summer. Um, and I think, you know, if I'm thinking about the type of guard I would want next to RJ Barrett, like he'd be pretty high up the list, assuming he's healthy. Um, You know, like he's not a true point guard, but he can create, uh, he can space the floor. He can move RJ down to the three while he plays the two. Like he can kind of play the one a little bit too. Like I just, I see Oladipo as the kind of guy, like when the Knicks nick and don't get Giannis because like, they're not going to get Giannis. I can see like Oladipo moving into like becoming a prime target for them. Right. And like, is that smart? Is that like I don't know how to answer stuff like that because like, like I probably wouldn't sign Leo, He's what twenty eight. He's basically only had one elite season, um, and then he had this weird patellar issue. What is that? What it was? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So like,
1: yeah, it was a lower leg thing.
2: Yeah. So like that took away basically a full calendar year, and now he's back, but maybe won't be in the bubble. Which you know, good for him. Um. But like, I just, you look at like that 21 summer and there's not a lot. There's actually, I think that free agent class is super overrated, but oh, 100%. like, yeah, but like you look at like, you know, the guys that are coming out then and like Jeremy just mentioned, like, yes, there are a lot of teams that have cap space, but there aren't a lot of teams that have the type of cap space the Knicks are going to have. Um, like. The Knicks aren't going to – like even if they decide we're going to pay Mitchell Robinson, it's not going to happen until that summer. And they're not going to pay him until they use up their cap space. I promise you that. And
3: just to interject, I think that while I expect them to pay him after 2021 because he'll be a restricted free agent, if the Knicks want to create a situation where they basically have him on a lower cap hold and increase the amount of cap space they have in 2022, all they have to do is just pick up his team option. And then they say to him, look, we'll give you an even bigger contract. We just need your small cap hold. I think it's less likely, but people kind of just forget that he has a fourth year and that the Knicks could very easily just pick it up. And if they absolutely felt uncomfortable about it, like if they felt that he was going to walk no matter what, you could trade a midseason. Again, not the most ideal situation, but it's not like he has to have a contract after his third year.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, like I I, I don't know. I, I just think the thing with D, Depot just seems like realistic to me as... As a star, like he's still a star, you know, like you can definitely go to James Nolan and be like, Hey, look, we're going to get a star and like sell him on Oladipo. I'll be like, Oh, like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Great. I can put him on the marquee and he can sing the national anthem. Like fucking awesome. Um <laughs> like, it, like I can see that. I, I think he fits really nicely with any of their young pieces. Um Like he gives them a dynamic ball handler pull up shooting threat that they haven't had in god knows how long um and as, again this is assuming he's healthy which we don't know yet um and like from everything we've heard indiana was not particularly interested in paying him what he wants which i'm assuming is a max or close to a max and like and like it's not like they were a little bit like they were offering him i think basically the same contract he got when he signed his rookie extension, so four years, eighty million, like that's what they offered to extend him for again, and he was like, "Nope, I'm good." Um, I think the Knicks, like, again, like you look at the teams that have cap space this summer. and Jeremy probably knows it a lot better than I do, but I, I'm pretty sure if you look at the teams that are gonna have that type of max cap space, to not just sign all the depot, but be like, "Hey, depot, Vic, we want to sign you," but also we have this amount of space left over. Who is somebody you want to play with? Pick your guy. Pick a guy you want to play with, and we'll sign him too. Like the Knicks have that ability to do that. So even if you think the Giannis thing is unrealistic, like I do, um, like I think the the Oladipo thing is way more realistic because there are there are, there might be teams there might be more teams that are, that have the ability to sign him to a contract he wants, but there are like going to be no teams that have the ability to to sign him and a buddy or a couple of buddies is so like i mean again that's not the greatest thing in the world we've just spent like the whole year clowning the nets for the deandre jordan thing but like ultimately I, i'm i'm more just saying like for better or worse i do buy the deep the old depot thing um and, and i think that like i think there's a reason why well i think Bon temps had that first right that like the knicks would be interested in him like i believe that I 100% believe that he definitely strikes me as fitting the kind of profile that the Knicks would want in a player.
1: Did you know that Victor Oladipo was on the second season of The Masked Singer and finished fifth in the competition?
2: I don't even know what that is.
1: <laughs> you don't know what The Masked Singer is?
2: No, I'm sorry, I have, I have a life, dude. I'm so cool. It's
1: it's, it's, it's a bunch of like <laughs> it's a bunch of D-list celebrities. Um, they and they get up in like costumes and they just sing. And everyone has to figure out who's the person singing. That's it. That's all the mass
3: Singer is. He was pretty good, too. I happened to see one episode and they showed a flashback of it. Yeah, I think T-Pain
1: won the uh, the first season because everyone's like, oh my god, T-Pain you could sing. It's like, yeah, we we know.
3: Yeah, and I think Wayne Brady won the second one. Ashwin, you want to tell me, did Wayne yeah, Brady win the second Did
2: one? Wayne Brady win the second uh, season of the is Singer? Is Wayne Brady going to have to smack a bitch? <laughs> 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 I have no idea. I I'd fucking hate both of you right now well
1: um all right i'll go back to some uh it yeah, was Wayne Brady, sports? yeah some some basket for uh chris daltrey was the uh the runner-up look at that oh that is american idol yes yeah, it's the i'm coming home guy yeah it does nothing
2: for me
3: i'm okay. coming home
1: yeah
2: the place where i belong no i don't know you guys sound real white right now
1: i mean that's what we are that's what we are we're we're pretty, it. Yeah. yeah, no, it's just like <laughs> it is what it is. Like what do you want what do you want us to do? Um just to circle back with uh Anthony Davis. He will have the 35% max in the 2022
2: offseason. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, I mean uh, like, yeah, yeah, I mean why would he there's no way he's going to sign a long-term deal before that then. No. Like why the fuck would you? That's ret- that's just beyond stupid.
3: And let's let's also kind of just float this while we're on the subject. I think this is getting a little bit less realistic as we go on. But we talked about the fact that Anthony Davis, and uh, it doesn't make sense for him to re-up with the Lakers unless they bring in someone else that can play alongside him who is around his level or just a tad underneath it. But then you kind of think about, like, well, what happens to LeBron? Where does he go? What does he do? And I don't think Bronny is in the league quite yet. I think he, I think he's in the draft, like, 2023, 2024, somewhere. We're going to take there.
2: Bronny with the Mavs pick. The 23 Mavs pick.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you could. <laughs> but then you, you start to wonder, it's like, okay, well, if the Lakers are going to be ass, and if LeBron is trying to potentially win while he still can because of his legacy, just genuinely speaking, like, we can even take the Knicks out of this. Where does he then go? What team appeals to him? And that's the I, sort of thing where, okay, you, you dig a little bit deeper, and then you think, okay, well, you go back to the clutch argument and trying to figure out what happens there. I I. I I don't know. I don't know where he goes after Los Angeles. Cause I feel like he would have to leave to go somewhere before Bronny.
2: Well, he's definitely not going back to Cleveland. I think no, that's, that's for definitely sure. out of the, and then it's like, he's not going to go to fucking Boston. All right. Like that's yeah, that like, that's not happening. Uh, I, I think like, I mean, there's an outside chance. Maybe he just loves LA and he's like, I'm fucking, what's he going to be then? 37, 38. Yeah. He could, uh, they he could, could just, be, he'll be he the
1: Lakers to be honest. I mean like that, it's not like,
2: I mean, like, I think
1: still a pretty attractive place in terms of just players just like, hey, just just come to live in L.A. It's like, OK, fine yeah,
2: me. but, I mean, it depends on what he really wants to get out of that final stretch of his career. I'm assuming he's still going to be like desperately trying to <clears throat> get up to six championships because uh, he wants to be Michael Jordan really badly, but he won't because Michael Jordan was better than him. Um, but like. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. He, I mean, he probably – if he's still chasing Jordan, then he's going to go somewhere he thinks that, like, he can Gives win. Gives him a chance shoot. to win. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: That could be the uh, the Atlanta Hawks, potentially, with uh, Trey Young,
3: John Collins, <laughs> Cam Reddish. Kevin Herter. Kevin Herter. I'm pretty sure it's actually going to be the Tyler Harrow-led Miami Heat.
2: <laughs> <laughs> man, fuck Tyler Harrow, man. I'm so sick of this fucking guy. Like, he just shot really well from three basically to start the year. And, like, you know. Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's, that's what he, like, which is fine. Like, I liked Hero as a prospect. I was higher on him than most people. I also think that, like, you know, like, I mean, he's not JJ Redick as a shooter. Like, and I, I know, and I know people are like, he is off the dribble game. It's like, all right, man, cool. Like, so you're talking about Boyan, but like, you're talking about like Wisconsin Boyan, Bogdan. <laughs> you know, like, what do you want me to do with that? Like, I'm supposed to like, that's a nice piece. It's a nice player. Not really sure why I'm, you know, throwing a parade for this right now. But, you know, Pat Riley still getting it done, baby. It really is. Someone, I forgot who it was on Twitter,
1: but someone's like, how can Tyler Hero be like the corniest player in the league when like Ennis Cantor and uh, Kyle Kuzma? Like, exist in the league. I forgot Dude, who
2: Grayson it. Allen is in the NBA, and Tyler Hero's more, like, he's cornier than him. Yeah, like, it's kind of shocking. Like, that it's... tattoo he got was ridiculous. I wanted like, he should, <laughs> I hope Jimmy Butler just, I think, I hope he goes full Timberwolves practice on him next time he sees him.
1: Well, they're just going to, like, dump him in, like, the Miami Harbor or whatever it's called. It's just, like, we're done with you. Just, like, he, he, Jimmy Butler can't be happy about that. There's oh no yeah,
2: they, there's this whole thing about uh, Jimmy Butler in in the Weitzman book too, and it's great. I like really appreciate how much of a psychopath <laughs> Jimmy Butler is. Um, <laughs> like truly, truly. Um, I like I just forgot how insane that entire thing was. That like he showed up to practice late, and then he ref- like apparently Tibbs was like get tr- trying to like tell him like couldn't practice and i guess like butler just walked out there with the third string guys and at that point like you know nobody can really like tell jimmy like like get the fuck out so you know then he just goes on to pre- and proceeds to like completely just destroy cat and wiggins <laughs> and is like screaming at scott layden like you know you fucking need me you guys can't win shit without me he's fucking apparently telling cat that he's gonna fuck his girlfriend um, yeah just like a lot of really vicious horrible mean stuff that in any other job would be like super frowned upon and probably get you blackballed from playing anywhere else again but in the NBA people are like that's the kind of personality we need
1: <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> why Tibbs gave him like so much of a chance like it makes sense now right it's like oh no like he shot horribly but it's like don't worry he'll be fine eventually like, <laughs> he, just, he just fit like Tibbs and him are like the perfect marriage <laughs>
0: <laughs> which is
1: <laughs> fucking jimmy but i kind of wish we do had. i do wish jimmy butler was on the Knicks for like these type of uh stories where we just like talk about and be like this guy's awful but it's also it's very entertaining because we're not the ones experiencing it no, in i mean any i mean it's
2: it's is it great no but like i mean i think you need assholes i think every nba team that's great needs an asshole i think lebron's been an asshole a lot of times um mm-hmm. You like, got to be. Yeah. Like, I, I, this idea that, like, you're going to just, you know, like, oh, Jordan was mean to teammates. Like, yeah. And he won six championships. So, like, wh- like, what's the point here? What, like, what's the goal? Are we trying to be the nicest team to exist? Or are we trying to win championships? And it's like, you know, people can talk. Like, Tim Duncan is a great teammate. Great teammate. He also, like, didn't talk to Tony Parker the entire first year he was on the team. Fact. Like, you can look this up. He did not talk to him, did not say a word to him the entire first year he was on the team like that that seems like it's such a tim duncan thing
1: too like (laughs) just like i'm just not talking to you i don't have time for you
2: yeah and but it's like it's like you know you need assholes and the Knicks. you know and you need the right type of assholes right like the Knicks have not had the right assholes the Knicks have had like you know like mellow wasn't an asshole but mellow was like this little like political stuff like oh like i'm gonna not try for an entire season because Phil Jackson's being mean. And like, you know, he just did like, I'm not going to try because Mike D'Antoni doesn't want to give me the ball at the pinch post 25 times a game. Like, you know, which is fine. Like this stuff happens in the NBA. it Just, it is what it is. But like, you got to get the right assholes. And like, you know, a guy like Jimmy, yeah, he's an asshole. Yeah. If you have fucking players that, that, that can't handle that, it's going to go poorly. And like, that's a risk you run. But like, If you put the right guys around him, you get him in the right environment, like, you know, from everything we've heard in Miami, is fucking great. He seems to love it down there, even though they're never going to win a championship. Like, he's happy. Um, I think, you know, all their young guys seem to get along with him and shit. And, like, they all get to the gym now, apparently, at, like, 3 in the morning because he's fucking psychotic like that. Like, I don't know. I mean, there is value to that kind of stuff. I think... From the way RJ Barrett has been described, I don't know if he has an abrasive per. I don't, it doesn't seem like he has a very abrasive personality like Butler, but, um, I mean, he's also a rookie. We'll see how he grows into it. I, I think maybe in three or four years, if he's got, has a Julius Randle type on his team, you'll let him <laughs> know where, yeah, I mean, I think you'll let him know where you should take that shit. Um,
3: I feel like the Knicks just dumped the best asshole they had cheer <laughs> Like you keep Trier because he's an asshole, and yet that's what drove them to madness. Oh, okay. is, um, is, is it, was that your segue?
1: Was that you trying to like become the, the main host of the next film school podcast by like
3: inserting yourself right there as a segue? Yeah, yeah. I just boomed John so hard that I just <laughs> became the number one host, I guess. And also I'm looking at this Tyler Harrow tattoo and it just it just really looks like someone like etched the words "no work and no check" into his skin. With why a knife. The,
2: why is he that looks, even the well, tattoo you get? Like, what, like, really? That's the one. That's what you chose to put on your body.
3: That's, it's such, like,
1: he's young, right? Isn't he? That's definitely, yeah. like, he's not, but he's not young enough. What I was going to say, like, that's the type of tattoo you go, that you used to go to, like, the village for when you're, like, 15 years old. And you start going to, like, tattoo shops, tattoo shops, and you're just like, can you do this for me? Or, Are you going to get in
3: trouble to do this for me?
1: They're like, <laughs> yeah, sir, whatever. Come on in. It's, you know, it's 12 o'clock at night. Like, that's the type of tattoo, like, a 15-year-old gets.
3: Yeah, or Lamelo's too, even. Oh, uh, like, uh, the bird? The bird <laughs> with the one? Yeah, yeah.
2: But Lamello's great. Future Nick. Yeah. Um, unlike Alonzo Trier.
3: Yeah, so he...
1: Schwinn and I have more or less avoided this topic on the past couple pods. because like, ignored. ignored.
2: Ignored it. Ignored
1: it. Because we're just yeah. like, we don't really want to talk about it, but I think it's time to discuss the fact that the Alonzo Trier era is over. And just time to reflect a little bit about him. And I kind of think it's a little com- – I don't want to say it's complicated, but, like, he did have – like, you look at it like his rookie year, and you're just like, oh, there's something potentially there. And then they just threw away everything. Granted, we know he's not – like, he wasn't good or anything. Like, he decided to stop playing defense. He still played the same way. He didn't embrace any sort of, like – Team ball, unless the game, unless all the possessions like filter through him. So like it, he wasn't, he wasn't that type, like good team type player. But there is like part of me that's like, I do wish he had like he played a little more too. At the same time, because like I didn't want to watch the other guys play. But I'll let you guys um, say your pieces.
2: Um, fuck Alonso share I don't care about him. Uh, he's not a friend of the show. He is not an acquaintance of the show. He is not somebody I would ever want to have on the show. Um, I think he played probably some of the most brain-dead, self-serving brand of basketball I've seen in a long time. Um, It was like, I don't know if you guys remember when we were up on the Celtics 3-0 in that series and then in Game 4... Melo was like so desperate to be the hero of the game to like sweep them on the road. I think he shot like 10, it was like 10 of 37 from the floor and we lost. Like it was like that except Alonzo Trier played like that every day. Um,
1: and for I, shorter I, minutes too, like it wasn't over like prolonged. It was like 10 for 37 in five minutes.
0: of
2: play. <laughs> and it's like, I, what the thing I didn't Okay. So like, his whole thing was, like, he's he could create his own shot. And he can. He can create his own shot. Like, that's a really valuable skill. Um, nobody can deny that. The problem is, like, if you've, you have to, like, hit certain thresholds. And, then like, if every time you're touching the fucking rock, you are bringing the offense to a halt. you have to be a certain level of scorer. And you have to be able to create your shot with a certain level of ease to warrant that okay like say what you will about carmelo anthony but like there was stretches of his career where even though he brought the offense to a screeching halt every time he touched it like he was absolutely worth that type of leeway because you could feel the elite offenses around carmelo anthony and he was an elite offensive player like a lot of not an elite offensive player okay he's a fucking guy He's a jag. And he played like he was fucking James Harden. I think as uh friend of the show, James Mercedes said in Slack once upon a time, like, you play like fucking Harden, but you are, I don't know, like five percent of what James Harden is, maybe like Yeah, maybe maybe five percent. <laughs> yeah, like like he, he doesn't do anything other like if you're gonna be this like kind of Center of the offense solo like type player, and everything is going to operate around you. you're gonna slow everything down. like you have to do way more with those touches and you have to provide value wait like in with those touches way more, way, way more than Trier did. like wasn't a high assist guy, wasn't getting he wasn't even like a particularly great score. I think what was he like fifty six through shooting? Yeah,
1: somebody uh... that
2: up. Like yeah, and he, he was
1: 56, true shooting this rookie year.
2: Yeah, and he was 23. He's not old, but not young, really. Like, not not a guy that you're like... I mean, what was the upside with Trier? That's what I want to know. Like, what the hell was the upside with this guy? Because he couldn't defend, never showed any inclination to defend. He kept getting stupid turnovers because he couldn't keep his elbows tucked in when he drive. Elbow people in the fucking head all the time. Um, he didn't really do a good job of key like he was good at hitting mitch on lobs that's but like that's literally the only type of pass i saw him throw
1: i'm pretty sure all of us can hit mitch on lobs
2: right and it's like like i just don't see the the major upside and it's like people like oh i can't believe they gave up on him like I'm, i'm happy they gave up on him because to be honest like i think he's a player that just takes away like he sucks the oxygen out of the room with the way he plays off. Like, the way he plays, he sucks the oxygen out of the offense. He takes up so much of it. And it's like, like, I mean, I, I mean, people were pissed off watching Julius Randle take touches away from R.J. Barrett. Like, I think those people should be forced to live in the fucking alternate universe where we, where we start Alonzo Trier for (laughs) fucking 50 games. Like, Fisdale apparently had a brilliant idea of doing game one. I would, I want to see that world. And I want those people – I don't want to see that world. I want those people to live in that world because I can promise you he will drive you more crazy than Julius Randle ever fucking did. I think
1: it was just more with Trier is there is a framework to an NBA player in there because like early on in his rookie season, he wasn't god-awful at like one-on-one isolation defense. So at least you had something like that. There was definitely a framework. Just his playing style was so counterintuitive to, I would just say, any type of winning basketball outside of the Rockets, just given like their roster construction. It's just like you can't play him because he was – I don't know how willing he was to actually do the um, – like, all the stuff Wayne Ellington did. I think that was always me saying, like, if Alonso Truro played like Wayne Ellington, then he's, like, then he's going to have, like, a, a decent NBA career as a bench player. But he constantly refused to play. And that how t- coming off screen, spotting up and doing all this stuff. Because I think he, like, he does have the he capability. He can't do it.
2: No, he can't do it. He can't. You, like, people can show when. D- Dotson, I'll give you an example. Dotson is a pretty okay movement shooter. He can't do, like, he cannot come off a screen at the speed Wayne Ellington can and shoot like that, okay? And Dotson is somebody I would much rather play than fucking Alonzo Trier. Oh, absolutely. What
1: I'm saying is Trier never put in the effort to play a certain style, like that type of style
3: is what I'm...
2: I'm saying I don't think he can. Like, I think it's actually... It's hard to do that. Like, it's really hard. I mean, what you... His best moments,
3: his best moments, it felt like we're bailing out Fisdale when Fisdale didn't have a plan. So, (laughs) so, He wasn't a playmaker, but he could improvise enough where he could get the Knicks into a position where at least he's scoring. and But then it's like, you know, if he's not scoring, then what the fuck is he doing? Because sure, you could say he could grow into that playmaking role, but what have we seen that has inspired? He, he him? can't grow
1: into a playmaking role.
3: Like, that's something I, I definitely, like, that's definitely was never going to happen. Like, he
1: just doesn't have the vision to be a playmaker.
2: I was, like I was like pretty into Trier early on. I was like, wow, like, the Knicks definitely got a steal here. And I I like I mean to an extent I do think that they got a steal in the sense that an undraft like he has NBA level talent for sure. So you get that with an undrafted guy, like that's a win. But I would say within maybe after like the first half of his rookie season, I was pretty out on Trier because it was just so obvious like I, I just didn't see the growth and it's like I remember looking, I remember going on to the Arizona Wildcats SP Nation blog and reading through some comments they had on Trier and it happened to be like after that report came out about um, Hardaway Jr. and Burke not like getting along with him and I remember reading the comments on it and it's just a bunch of people being like, yep, figures, sounds exactly like Trier, he did the same thing with marketing he did the same thing, I'm like I'm like, oh all right, so, like, you know, this isn't, like, his first rodeo. Like, he's done this multiple times before. And, like, maybe that's just who he is. And, like, I I mean, he was, like, a fine teammate, I guess, at the end of this year, like, on the bench and shit. But, like, I, I mean, again, you got – you have R.J. Barrett. I think he, he's obviously somebody you're going to invest in, Okay. You got Frank Millikinna, I'm a thousand times more invested in him than I am Alonzo Trier. Um I know people will be like, "But Trier's school." I don't care, man. Like Trier Trier is not as good at anything as Frank Millikinna is at defense. That's just a fact. And you know, if you think that like like, I I did, you have to be he you know, he has to be good enough as a scorer for me to give a fuck that that's what he can do. Like I don't give a fuck that he can score the basketball when I don't even want to watch like what uh, what was his effectiveness in that role? I remember looking this up the other. like his rookie year played on the most dog shit team possible. That 2018-19 next season under David Fizdale literally the most talentless most garbage fucking team you could play for. This guy's putting up 56 through shooting. Like, Oh wow. Like he must have a positive impact. So the Knicks are better on offense without the guy on the floor. Like, how does that make sense? Like you, if you are scoring well on a team that cannot fucking score, why is the offense not better with you on the floor? Like, I'm sorry. Like, I just can't get over a fact like that. And I know he made some strides this year and was, like, shooting faster, but let's just say I don't really buy that as, like, meaningful. Um, I don't think it was worth investing in. And I don't really give a fuck about Alonzo Trier. Like, the Knicks didn't do anything wrong by him, okay? They gave him a—first of all, they signed the guy when 30 NBA teams passed on the chance to draft him. Second of all, they paid him. They paid him $7 million over two years. Like, he got paid by the New York Knicks. So, they didn't do him dirty. They just fucking were out on him earlier this season because they were like, you know what? Actually, we're good on this because we didn't sign KD. That's probably really why they said that. It,
3: it's exactly it because the fact is that he was a conduit to signing KD. That's why, you know, it was looked at as like we, we got him on a G League or two-way roster – um, and then we can basically try to work with him and oh he's he's going off that's great okay well we don't need Ron Baker let's dump him let's pay Trier the biannual and then we show KD like we take care of your boys right we we have them covered and a lot of this is just dollars and cents to me because the reality is the Knicks were going to be faced with a decision where they're going to have to extend qualifying offers to Alonzo Trier and Damian Dotson and they basically realize hey Alonzo is not worth $4.5 million qualifying offer. Just in case you're confused for those out there, you can reject your qualifying offer, you become a restricted free agent. You can accept your qualifying offer, get effectively a no-trade clause, and then you become an unrestricted free agent a year later. So the Knicks didn't want to be in a position where they're on the hook for $4.5 million because especially in this climate, I don't see why a player who's barely earning any playing time Is going to say like, oh, let me turn down $4.5 million to offer to me. (laughs) It's just not going to happen. And you can say the ability that I can go anywhere I want. And if I say I don't want to go anywhere, the Knicks would just wave me or I could ride the pine and then I hit free agency again. It just wasn't going to happen. He was going to sign that deal. And I do think that you could say, well, the Knicks did a terrible job of maximizing on his value. But then here's the thing. Yes, I I don't disagree with that. I think that there was a window where the Knicks probably could have gotten something better for him and – Something. They they didn't, and they didn't. But here's the other thing. If you look at it, it's like, well, even if they got a a late second pick, right? Late second round pick. Yes, you're getting something for him. 100% absolutely. You turn nothing into something beautiful. But then if that pick, which statistically speaking, is likely to be worse than Alonzo Trier, you're looking at a situation which was, I can't believe we traded Alonzo Trier for a pick that wound up being worse than Trier. We should have kept Alonzo Trier. And again, the Knicks clearly just realized – we don't want this guy, as you're saying. And Drew, it's just like there's no reason to keep him if he's not on board with what you're doing. He was part of an old administration. He doesn't add value to you on your bench. And you could spend – it's basically like paying Reggie Bullock to do a third of what Reggie Bullock does. And Why <laughs> would you even do that? It just makes no sense to me. And there was a report that the Cavs could have picked up Alonzo Trier, but apparently the money and the years didn't work out. And we don't have the specifics on it. But you look at it, it's kind of like, okay, well, maybe there's a reason why other teams aren't pouncing on this guy. Maybe it's because they look at him, and he fits a very specific need, and that need is just not really necessary, especially on a good team. Because I'm not sure, like, yeah, he could hang around for the ride with the Nets, right? And I'm sure he could get a a decent enough deal if they want. It's probably going to be on the cheaper end based on their salaries, but they could do it, right? And he could ride the pine, and they're fine with that, but... Any other place, there's really no room for him because he's not a team player. And if he's not going to exceed that level as an offensive talent where he's able to help a team on a, in a positive manner, then why is he being signed when there are a dozen, two dozen, three dozen guys who can do exactly
2: what he does better? Or they can do different things that better impact winning. Yeah, I mean, this is actually – so I was I, – I had no – I literally had no problem at all with them fucking waving trigger i was low-key fist pumping um i was just like in my head as soon as i saw they did it and they were gonna sign pinson i was like fucking pinson sucks okay like uh, fuck this guy but there are two things so first we had i mean i i I've like i think spencer perlman he tweeted this out and i'm pretty sure we talked about this with dave Dufour on our last pod I think he mentioned it maybe before we were on air. Um, I don't think he's going to mind me saying this. But he was like, yeah, I think Pinson's better. And Spencer basically tweeted the same thing earlier, too. He was like, I think Pinson's better. I think David Zenon was like, he tweeted out that he thought Pinson and Frank could be like a fun combination. And he's not exactly a big Frank. Like, he's not like the biggest fan of Frank, I guess. So, like, I mean, you hear that kind of stuff. And I don't know, like, I mean, my memory of Pinson is just like as a meme, right? Like a dancing meme for the Nets. But, you know, okay, that's one aspect of it. I still kind of just think he sucks, which is whatever. But like the other part is someone tweeted this at me right after I was like, because I think my tweet was literally just like, Pinson sucks. I think that was it. That was the tweet. (laughs) (laughs) But I think somebody like responded to me and was like, look, like, Pinson's contract expires and he has an option for, like, October or something like that. So it just gives the Knicks a contract that maybe gives them more flexibility in trade as a salary to add in trade or something like that. Because, you know, uh, it just gives you more time. And, like, Oller is... This is, like, a very much, like... Like, the reason I kind of buy into it is because of Brock Oller, like I mentioned earlier in the show. Like, this is the kind of thing I could see him being like, look, like, we're not going to keep Trier. So fucking wave him, pick up Pinson probably not going to keep him either but like let's see you know what let's let me just have this contract and if if i can't you know kick the tires and see what's out there nothing is out there then we just don't exercise it, and he expires no there's nothing we lose from this situation um the other thing and i i really don't think this should be uh dismissed is like yes obviously leon rose has worked with kenny atkinson before he was CIA, so i'm sure he has great knowledge and has knows people that knows kenny atkinson but i think Alonzo or not alonza pinson uh pinson played for kenny atkinson for basically two years like in in brooklyn like i think just picking him up like the additional benefit is like okay now we have a guy under contract we can talk to all the time if we want about kenny atkinson and see what he liked about atkinson what didn't he like what were good things what were bad things what were things he changed over the course of his time in brooklyn well What didn't change? What would you like to change? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just Mm -hmm. think that there's actually upside to that move beyond just like the con, like beyond, you know, you're talking about, you're talking about a 14th, 15th guy in your roster. How much upside do you really think is there? Probably not that much. So like, there are other ways to get value from players and assets in this league. And like, you know, I don't know shit about Jared Harper, but would it really surprise you if Jared Harper gets a shot in the next next year and he ends up being a more useful functional fungible player in lineups uh than Alonzo Trier wouldn't to me because apparently he's like I mean just from looking at his highlights he looks does not look like a ball pounding iso scorer um so I don't know like I just I I cannot understand people getting worked up over that and I just think it's stupid and I think Alonzo Trier is going to have a great career with Guangzhou.
3: <laughs> and, you know, the, the Knicks also did exactly that. Like what they did with Pinson taking on that contract, they did it last year. They had Billy Garrett, Jenkins, they had yeah. Like It's basically just creating potential ammo that you could use to grease the wheels of a trade or you just cut them loose and it's no big deal whatsoever. Um, and I honestly hadn't thought about that factor in terms of Pinson and just doing more due diligence. I think that's... That's a really smart idea if they're hopefully they're able to to pick that up. But uh, and just like because you mentioned Harper, the way I looked at getting Harper because he is on a two way, but his the way his contract works is that he is a restricted free agent next year. Yeah, I just look at it like, OK, well, that's basically your Dennis McJunior, Dennis Junior replacement, because you can get him for absolute cheap. Like, I, I don't see the Knicks doing this, and I think you could probably tie it back with relationships and with Sam Hinky. But one of the things in taking the top that, um, that white talked about was Sam Hinkie had these deals called the Hinky special, which is yeah. just basically <laughs> trying to sign these really shitty players. Uh, well, they weren't that shitty, but like trying to get guys who are second round picks or, or really just diamonds in the rough that he felt uh, getting them to sign four year deals. like, the, the cheapest amount option. And it pissed off a lot of and, agents. And it would be
2: like the last two years, last three years would be like, so it be like the first year you get your money. And then the last three years would be non-guaranteed. I think yep. that's, I think that's the contract. He, he basically like Covington was, a was one of those guys.
3: Yeah. And the, one of the players who advised it, who basically said, I'm not going to do that was KJ McDaniels, who got a really nice deal from the Rockets one year later, because he yeah. signed a one-year deal instead. So it's sort of like just being able to work with people and have these good skills that are communicate communicative and trying to get the best out of these situations and building a foundation of of trust and good faith. And that's the big thing here. We're trying to kind of building the team and, and I guess just to again tie it all together. It's just you need to, to start somewhere and it's okay to start small and, and build out gradually. But again, you have to start at that one place and being able to maximize your options and being able to work positively with the people that you'd have to be around. That's everything. It's so important to be able to have people who are, who are respected. Like Porzingis, one of his biggest concerns was that Scott Perry couldn't build a team around him. And then I'm pretty sure that um, John talked to Will Leitch, Will Leitch. I, I, can't, I can't remember his last name, who, who's a baseball reporter, but he's very involved with basketball. And the I think sense- he used
2: to do stuff for the times for the Knicks.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. And so the, his, what he had heard was essentially the same thing with Kevin Durant, where he did have concerns about how Scott Perry was going to build a team. And so, yes, you could bring someone in who has zero experience doing that, but he also has guys underneath him who do. They have lots of experience there. But if it's a familiar face that you know isn't going to fuck you over and has been a player agent and has players' interests at heart and that can, that continues no matter what, no matter if he's serving as an agent or serving on a, a team board or whatever... Or whatever the position may be, like it's good to have that that space where it's comfortable and it works out for parties and all parties involved. Do you want a fun fact on Alonzo Trier? Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, he's not on the Knicks anymore. Fun fact. No, even
1: him. even more fun fact. Um, can you guys guess last season where he ranked on the New York Knicks for shots with a touch time of six seconds or more? Number one. Close. He was ranked number two on the team. He took it. No, Emmanuel Moutier was actually number one.
2: Oh, well,
0: that Uh, makes sense. Yeah. yeah,
1: So Alonzo Trier took 125 shots when he had the ball in his hand for six plus seconds. Can you guess what his effective field goal percentage was in those Uh, 125? Fucking
2: 49.
1: Uh, Jeremy was closer. It was 42 effective field goal percent when he held the ball. For that long, Emmanuel Moudier shot had an effective field goal position of 47%. Like, imagine, like, Emmanuel Moudier was more efficient than Alonzo Trier when holding well, the ball, which was Alonzo Trier's best trait was holding the ball.
2: It's just like, it's, I mean, his efficiency bef- other than those possessions probably much higher, but like, I mean, I don't know, man. I just, I, I don't see how that guy has, you can't defend a fucking chair. You're asking to basically rebuild a player who has played like that. He's played like that for since high school, probably longer. Like he played like that when he was sharing the floor with fucking lottery picks in Arizona, marking in, he in like, why is he mad? Like why? I don't know why. If he figures it out, God bless him. Good for him. Happy for him. Wasn't I have zero interest in, in the Knicks. Wasting fucking development reps on Alonzo Trier figuring it out.
1: Fuck you know that. How many shots he took with between touch time of between zero and two seconds? Too many. He took 17. only 100, 121, <laughs> which is less than his six plus seconds, and during that, and he had shot an effective field goal percentage of 59.5%. 59, 59. So, <sighs> that, So it's just kind of funny the idea of just like what he was actually good at is something he didn't want to do.
2: I mean, I, this is the stuff that people used to say about Melo, right? Oh, well, if you get him a point guard, if you do this, he, like, he won't drill. But it's like, I, I'm not even dogging on Melo. It's just like, so, like you can improve guys. There's like marginal gains to be made within the context of what a player is. Like, like one thing, like Melo got better at just being a volume three-point shooter. Right, like, like he actually got volume three point shooting up as he m- moved on in his career. Right, but like, like, but there were still plenty of times where he would have an attempt, like a, a chance to take a nice catch and shoot in rhythm jumper. And what would he do? He would catch the ball, get into the triple threat, do his fucking nine thousand jab steps, like. Like that's what he is as a player. That's you're not gonna change that. You can you can reduce the amount of times he does that. Like you can reduce the amount of times Alonzo Dier dribbles around for six seconds and ISO's to death. But like, guess what? That's what he's gonna do. And we saw this shit. Like, you want a great example is the Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant. He's an, he's an ISO player. He can say whatever the fuck he wants about like, oh, I want to play in basketball, shangri-la, and you fucking know, he, experience. He, he plays basketball. ISO in
1: the mid range. Yeah, that's Kevin Durant.
2: That's what he is. And like when he went to Golden State, sure, there was he tried to fit in, and and he did fit in for a little bit. But like, if you you know you watched the games, you followed that team at all, you read the quotes, and all this shit, like everybody knew that as time went on he became less and less like buying into the system and more and more like playing like Kevin Durant. And that's fine. Like he's amazing. If, if a lot of trade was Kevin Durant, do you think any of us would give a shit how many times he dribbled the ball and took a shot for more than six seconds? You yeah, know, no one would care. Like we would not care. We'd be like, uh, yeah, but we'll figure it out. It's fine. We'll, we'll figure it out. Like he's not Kevin Durant. He's not even fucking like, I don't know. JJ Burr. I, I, I wish he was JJ Burr.
1: Yeah, he's definitely
2: awesome. not J.J. Like, he's...
1: Yeah, he just... He really isn't, like, an NBA player. He's not, like, a rotation player. Like, that's not him. He's not that player. He, he'd be lucky if he gets, like, a 12th man on an NBA team again.
2: Ah, man. Fuck Alonzo Dreyer.
3: That's a... Uh, I feel like that's a good point to, uh, <laughs> to end the show. <laughs> I feel like just that one sentence probably would have been enough, but... <laughs> I think it was good that we went in on it. At least we can now, write, you know, lay it to rest. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, Jeremy, what do you want to plug? Um, I guess I'll just plug the article I wrote that inspired this pod, and I appreciate you guys having me on to talk about it. So I'll, um, I'll plug that, and I, I also at the end of the last podcast I plugged uh, Elijah McLean. So really, going to continue anything in terms of your time or money where you can help out with the cause. Highly recommend it. Um, so yeah let's let's uh keep it at those two that's uh that's very nice especially because you know Elijah, like
1: the guy played like violin to kittens (laughs) like
0: yeah
1: it's just it's so fucked up man it's just like it makes zero sense um schwinn what do you uh what do you want to play Uh, plug not play
2: uh i want to plug um nothing I want to plug nothing. Uh, I want to p- I'll plug "Tank to the top. Good book. Definitely check it out. Um, I would also plug nothing else. That's it. I'm just plugging a book guys. Cause I'm fucking awesome.
3: Well, I appreciate the royalty swim. Thank you.
2: <laughs> um, unsolved
1: mysteries uh, rebooted on Netflix and is out. I haven't got a chance to watch it yet, but you know, unsolved mysteries is legit. So that's what I'm plugging. Just go watch some old Unsolved Mysteries. That's it. See you until next time.